You're listening to Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince. Every two weeks, they give their thoughts on movies, TV, and anime. and the triumph over xenophobia should hit theaters at the same time as the presidential election is marred time and time again by candidates who speak out against these very virtues. While Donald Trump bellows against Muslims, Mexicans, women still more, the most unlikely of heroes, a feisty little rabbit, fights for equality and acceptance. A few weeks back, I read a very interesting feature on Screen Crush which talked about Disney's Song of the South. With Zootopia garnering praise from critics and moviegoers alike, a look back to when Disney tried to portray slavery in a positive light seemed like a good idea for us to discuss on Popcorn Ronin. In comparing Br'er Rabbit to Judy Hopps, we can see how the studio has come a long way. While it's sad that we continue to see racism in everyday life, as well as in a presidential race no less, it's films like Zootopia which try to teach children the importance of standing up against such hatred. As everyone knows, you can't just walk into a Target and pick up a copy of Song of the South. Disney has had that embarrassment locked under a key for a very long time and has no plans to ever release it again, which I believe is the right call. You can blame it on the times, however, the fact remains that making a buck off of a re-release of their most racist, offensive film would be horrible. So off we went to the deep, dark web to quote-unquote procure a bootleg copy of Song of the South, and tonight we're going to talk about it and Zootopia. FYI, I just like saying the dark web because every time I hear someone saying that on TV or in movies, I think, oh, somebody found 4chan. <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> I remember seeing Uncle Remus singing Zippity Doo on TV back when Disney used to have their weekly show. And they never mm-hmm. aired the, fame, the, the film in its entirety. However, they would play various non-offensive clips and then as I got older I understood why and even though I was curious back then it was a lot harder to come by these films and it wasn't until I was in my early 20s that I got to know somebody who actually had a bootleg copy of it though by then I really had little to no interest in it and so never bothered watching the entirety of the film now nowadays it's as simple as downloading the film which is far from the least or the most offensive thing available on the the internet. Now, had you seen it beforehand or was this first time you actually sat down and watched it all? Never the entire film because they're like, I saw so much of it out of context because it's one of those things where technologically it's a very important movie for all the stuff it did with animation and the live action, all that. And that's something Disney touted for years. Like I remember being, I don't want to say young, but preteen, I want to say, with like, you know, Disney afternoons were a thing or the Disney channels first starting up on cable. And they they would always be talking about, you know, the fantastic animation techniques used here. And I remember 
I want to say at least into the early 90s, at least the animated parts of the film got regular play, at least from what I remember. Because I remember being very confused when I went to Disney World as and maybe early teens at the time and wondering why Splash Mountain was so different from the story in the cartoon <laughs> and not understanding for years of like, oh, because you can't say some of those things. <laughs> what's what's funny and telling, well, not funny, but you know, one of the things that I read about this was, again, they were talking about the impact the film had in its day as well as now, because it is still a topic of conversation. It has to be. And and one of the things that was said, and if I'm not mistaken, it was Roger Ebert even who said it, because that it should stay locked away and not re-released because children watching it mm-hmm. don't yet have the understanding that an adult has to be able to appreciate the film for what you're describing because of what it did for cinema as opposed to the messages that are in the film, you know? And so it, it should not, it definitely should not be re-released because again, those, those kids are not going to be able to see it. And we could point to ourselves as kids watching this and thinking it was magical because mm-hmm. I can especially remember again, because back in the day for me, it was Looney Tunes. And Saturday afternoons were Looney Tunes and Sundays were with Disney. And to see various clips from Song of the South and see that interaction between real people and uh, animated creatures was just the most awesomest thing ever. <laughs> like, it's like your way of fitting into that world of theirs. And I kept thinking, wouldn't it be great if something like that happened with you know, Looney Tunes, which eventually, hey, we got a basketball movie out of it. But but it was one of those things that it wasn't until I got quite a bit older and read up more on what was missing that I had not seen that you're like, holy crap. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it was the right choice not to put those scenes in there. And so, again, it's it's one of those things where, and, and, and again, I'm almost certain it was Ebert who said it too, that the, the show should be made available to college, university students mm-hmm. and whatnot who, that want to study the impact that it had on cinema, but restrict it to just that. Well, not only that, it can also be studied for its racial meanings as well. I mean, there's yeah, plenty there of that. lectures yeah. and classes that can be taught on that as well. You're, like, you're it, absolutely it, right. It, it's very important historically for a number of reasons. Yeah. Not all of them good. <laughs> a great many of them not. Yes. It's... It, I, I did not know again just how bad it was going to be watching it. I wasn't expecting blatant, in-your-face racism, harsh, harsh racism, because it wouldn't fit in the context of a Disney cartoon, Disney show for kids kind of thing. But what you get is just as bad, just in different ways, because mm-hmm. that passive racism is what makes it so that again, going back to the presidential candidates going on right now, is what allows people to feel comfortable just with what is blatant racism or xenophobia or things like that, but because it's not done in a, you know, 
tackling or shooting someone down because of their race or religion or sexual preference. It's just, you know, talking about it or whatever. They think that it's not as big a deal. And here you see a lot of different things, including the obvious portrayal of these these black people who it's questionable whether or not they are slaves or freed slaves because they try to again this is something that's been talked about a hell of a lot over the years as to whether or not this was before the civil war or after the civil war and if these were freed slaves or or not and they've they've said that it is afterwards but there's too many things that point to again just to make it confusing whether or not it's it is but regardless of that it's portrayed way too prim and proper and that the slaves or freed slaves are very happy to be there and singing the stereotypical black songs of the time as well, which some found just as offensive slapping that in there and all of these other things. So those things, while not the image of say someone who is black being shot or killed or hung or set on fire are just as damaging, insulting and offensive to anybody who sees this. Yeah, And then that's what you get when it's a movie made entirely by white people based on a book written by a white person. And it just happens to be about black culture during the late 19th century. And it's, it's like, you can, almost tell both from the film itself and like a lot of the commentary from the people involved with it later like they didn't see anything wrong with what they were doing at the time they thought this was a very positive thing and any controversy that came out of it was you know whatever the 1940s version of an sjw is essentially and and how they kind of ignored it and just passed it off as you know a vocal minority if you will which God, that was a very terrible phrase to use, especially in this context. But yeah. it's and that's like you said, it's a very different type of racism where they don't see the 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 damage and what they're doing because they it, it's not their culture. And trying to tell a story about a culture you aren't part of, let alone know anything about, it's it's terrible. Well, again, it, it's it's something that honestly, it's not just that they couldn't have done it right mm-hmm. for this type of film. You can't have a movie that is dealing with slavery in Georgia around the Civil War era that is going to be appropriate for kids to be a kids show. Like you, you cannot have a show about this. Mm-hmm. Have a song like Zippity Doodah in it. It it doesn't fit. It's not something you can you can do. And some of the things that I read too, they were saying how again it was brought up to to Disney and all that that there could be a backlash, but because the racists of the time had so much power, influence, and money, then they had to weigh. It wasn't like you're weighing. Okay, we're gonna piss off some. Some 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 people here, some minorities, or and um, most definitely a whole bunch of black people. But if we don't do it a certain way, well, we risk pissing off these white people, and mm-hmm. that's where a lot of the power and the money. And you're going, wow, that is just 
terrible that you are actually putting those two things in the same balance. But in that time, that was for them good business sense to be thinking that way. And it's like, oh, my God, that's horrible. Again, you can't look at a movie that has a freaking tar baby and not think that this will not be offensive. I don't care if it's in the time or not. There's no way you could put that in a show and think black people think this is funny. This is, you know, whatever. No, it, it makes no sense whatsoever. So whenever they, they, they say that, that these, again, I, I'd be more willing to buy that for trying to make everything happy and, and things like that. Fine. I'm, I'm willing to say, okay, you knew it was wrong, but you try to make everything peaches and cream here. But when you, again, have scenes like the freaking Tar Baby, when you have the slaves, or if they're not slaves, trudging off to work singing, when you have Uncle Remus calling the kid sir, or being put in his place by the plantation owner who's saying, like, if I want your advice, I'll ask for it. And he's continually casting his eyes downward. There are so many things that you can't blame on well, we had the best intentions. No, those are point blank racist, stupid scenes that had no place in the film, regardless of what time frame it came out in. Mm-hmm. At, at best, it's completely ignorant. But I, you're giving it far too much credit. I think. I said, no, at best, Even and that's that. <laughs> you know a, a golden scenario that you know reality doesn't quite reach. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but it's like you said, it's so relatable to current times because there are so many people still in the year 2016 that have that same ignorance. Like every Halloween you see college kids in blackface because they don't see the problem with it. They're not doing anything racist with it. It's just, it's just a costume. It's just a thing. And they don't understand what makes it so reprehensible and distasteful to the people that it's reflected upon. It's as I said, best case scenario, ignorance. It's funny because, again, it, Trump is bringing a lot of this to the forefront for everybody right now just because it's it's a presidential race and you would not expect this. But what he's doing is he's making people – he's giving a voice and he's allowing others who have been closet racist and have been trying to be quiet about it free reign to just come out and say things and do things that are horrible, just point blank horrible. And so we're getting a lot more of it. And then tack onto that, the tons of shootings that have been running rampant of innocent black men being shot and women. And then you also have, if you, if you separate it from that and you just look at it in terms of Hollywood and filmmaking as a whole, worldwide and things like that, we're still seeing characters being whitewashed that have no business. One of the things that struck me today, actually, and we talked about it. It's been almost daily for the past week. Yeah, has been they're making the film of Ghost in the Shell, which was an animated thing. We talked about it, and... It's it's Asian influences, okay? It's Japanese. And meanwhile, 
they cast a white woman in the lead role, Scarlett Johansson. And I don't know if you saw the tweet that I retweeted from, um, oh, I'm not going to be able to remember her name now. Ming-Na Wen. Ming-Na Wen, yeah. And who said, like, she's got nothing against this actress. She loves her. But how does this make sense? Why why, why watching this role when there are so many Mm -hmm. spectacular Asian, Japanese, you name it, actresses that could have done this so, so well? It's... (laughs) There, there's a case to be made if they wanted to make, you know, an American adaptation of the story. It would have been acceptable. It still wouldn't have been good, you know, just like a lot of the recent Iron Fist and Doctor Strange stuff. They could have done better by casting an Asian role, even if it was an American character. But it's not even an Americanized version. Scarlett Johansson is playing a character named Makoto Kusanagi. <laughs> and there, there is no world in which that is right. All right. Looking at the film, this is one of the other things that I, it was in, again, to reference that screen crush, and I will like it because I thought it was interesting to read article, where they were saying, removing all of that, was it even a good film to watch? Now, for anybody who has not seen the film, which is likely a lot of you, the film is basically a young boy and his parents go off to um, his grandmother, so his his mother's mother, their plantation. And the parents are going to split up for a little while because he's going to stay in Atlanta to work, and the mother's going to stay with her mother, and, and the child's going to stay on the, there as well. So you've got that trammel going on for the kid. And again, back then, it was a lot more, a lot less common, too, for parents to be splitting mm-hmm. up. So it, it kind of makes sense that the kid would be taking it pretty hard. And then, of course, you have the, the, the white folks who are staying in the house, and you have the black folks who are outside and or working and, and things like that. And the child becomes friends with Uncle Remus, who is the most important character, of course, in, in the movie. And basically, he's just an old storyteller. And it almost sounds like, again, when you're, as you're watching it, he's won his freedom, even if the others were slaves or whatever. And he just kind Mm -hmm. of wanders. He's allowed off the property to, he has his own house and and things like that. And he tells his stories about Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Fox and Bear. and, And those stories then are relatable for the child, the boy, for a variety of different situations, also with some poor kids who are essentially meant to be Br'er Fox and Br'er Bear. And it's got those little moments where it tries to be preachy about morals and doing the right things and, and, and whatnot. And again, there's not much in terms of what happens story-wise. He gets hurt, father comes back, miraculously healed... <laughs> <laughs> and keeps hearing stories. In, in in dispersed throughout that, you have moments where, again, Uncle Remus is putting put in his place by both the grandmother and the mother. Mm-hmm. He is, hell, he is almost put in his place by the, the kids at different points, the, the, the manner in which they speak to him. And the story as a whole, taking out those animated sequences which are meant to just basically, again, 
act as moral compasses or stories or that tie in with what is happening in the quote unquote real world for this boy. The story's boring as hell. Even oh, yeah. by that time standards, even by Disney's standards of everything is perfect and fun and great for everybody and things like that. It's just, again, if you were to remove entirely the, the, the mesh of real and animated, I think that the movie would have been largely forgotten. Yes. Mm -hmm. It would always be referenced as their most racist offensive work, but that'd be that it's just because it did the other things so bloody well that it kind of rose up in limelight that then shone that light on the incredible racism throughout. So, but as a whole, the movie is really just boring as crap. Yeah. It's, it's so safe and simple and so utterly like so many other live action Disney movies I'd seen over the years. Yeah. It's it, 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 it's almost like they follow the same script. They just swap out some characters here and there. And what's the big tragedy? Uh, he gets attacked by a bull. Cool. Okay. We'll just swap it out for the scene where this kid falls off a horse. Like it's, it, it's, it's Mad Libs. The movie is kind of what Disney put out for about 40 years. And if it wasn't animation and the fact that he gets hit by a freaking bull <laughs> and survives, <laughs> <laughs> that kills me. I, I thought that was hysterical. But yeah, I mean, there's there's not much more to say about about that. It's it's one of those where in, I'm not going to say I went in with an open mind because I point blank did not. It's I impossible knew, to. I knew what I was getting into and that was that. But I went in with an open mind in terms of what the rest of the show would be, whether it would be good and something I could look at and say, okay, I can see what they were trying to do or whatever kind of thing. But even then, being analytical of what it is that I'm watching, not just for because of now looking at a period piece, but thinking about it compared to shows of that time even, again, take out those those animated parts, and it is just quite simply a horribly boring show that would have been largely forgotten were it not mm -hmm. for those other elements. Yeah. And then we have Zootopia. I love this freaking movie. <laughs> I was, I was so surprised by this and like, because let's be honest, the, the, the non Pixar wing of Disney animation has been killing it over the last few years. We oh, talked yeah. about big hero six. I mean, frozen is of course a, a phenomenon. Wreck it Ralph. Like it, they, they have been doing phenomenal work, but when I saw this, I was like, Oh, this is, like, on the surface, it seemed like the most average Disney movie Disney could have come up with. Like, I remember I saw the trailer for it in front of, I don't even remember what movie it was I was watching. And it was, the entire trailer was basically the DMV scene. I'm like, okay, that was funny. Is that the movie? <laughs> so when I actually saw the movie, I was like, oh, they, no, this isn't the movie they advertised. It's a brilliant show. It Not just because of its own morals that it's trying to pass off and, and, and things like that. It's just a brilliant show in every regard. And it's funny because I, again, we watch 
Karen and I will watch cartoons and shit, even if we're the only ones. Absolutely, on I have no shame. I, it you shouldn't be ashamed, and that we both like animated shows. That's why when I see people um, who are saying like, "Don't watch." cartoons if you're an adult don't read young adult books if you're an adult don't go see superhero shows it pisses me off because you're limiting the beauty of creation somebody created this wonderful story and it doesn't matter how old you are you can still enjoy it i challenge anyone i don't care how old you are to watch up even just the beginning and not be moved by it so again it's 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 worth it and with the technology advancements you're seeing scenes that would otherwise not have been done and it kind of reminded me, in a way, of uh, of Miyazaki. Because you watch a Miyazaki film, and you pick up little mannerisms, little things throughout that he went out of his way to put in. Um, like, just female character tapping her toes when she gets her shoes on. Mm-hmm. And all these little things that would be completely ignored, but are there because it brings life to these things. And we're seeing a lot more of that now, especially in Disney's animated shows now. Not the drawn animated, but the the uh, the 3D animated. And people like to bitch and say that that's not a real movie and they're tired of all the 3D and real stuff was the hand-drawn stuff and all that. And to me, that's insulting because yeah. it's art is art. It doesn't matter if you created it by digital means or if you drew it by hand. It still is art. And there are people who have been busting their asses for years. I watched some different documentaries and different things for, for Zootopia that talked about the years spent on the story. There's, there, there was over 190,000 storyboards for this movie. They talked about all the work that they did for the fur, which some people may think, well, that's not very important to the story or whatever. It really is because this is Zootopia. It's they're all animals. Every animal has different fur. A freaking mouse has as much fur in terms of the work that went into the fur and how many uh, strands and all that as Elsa had in Frozen for her hair. And I mean, they made a big deal about her hair. And that's mm-hmm. a freaking mouse. Like the other creatures, everything is so real. And then because of the technology, again, it allows them to really play with different scenes to make them that much more realistic. Like when you see some scenes with Nick, especially I found Nick because it looked like they really had a lot of fun animating. Oh, yeah. And you see scenes like whether it's when he's surprised and scared and runs behind the bunny <laughs> or or when he's he's pointing or making comments about his little sticker badge that he has and different things like that. Throughout the film, there were a bunch of those, and we're seeing more and more of that with each film that comes out that is making it that much more realistic and relatable to us as we're watching it. And for me, the one that really gets me is uh, Flash and uh, the other sloths. Do you have any idea how hard it is to animate something in slow motion? And make it hysterical. (laughs) <laughs> that, well, that too, but like it, it, it required so much more work because you can't cheat the animation. Yes. You, you literally need every frame to work for the animation because it's like going back to like the 80s and 90s animation, especially a lot in uh, anime and Eastern animated uh, 
shows, whenever an action scene would happen, like it would repeat and you'd see it like hitting multiple times. And it was like, well, why do you do that? Because uh, this was a commentary, believe it or not, on the Transformers movie <laughs> because they were talking to the animators. It was fascinating. I know you don't care. But they said, if you try to animate something in slow motion, it looks like you just screwed it up. So that was their workaround. So like having that thought in mind and looking at, you know, what we see now with what they can do with computers, you can have that effect and have it work right. And like I said, it the, the facial animation on the sloth was brilliant. The entire scene at the DMV was brilliant. And like I said, I'd already seen that entire scene. As I said, that was the trailer that I saw. You and laugh yet every time I watched you watch the it. movie, it was still just as funny yep. the second time yep. and the third time. I've seen it on YouTube a few times as well, and it's just one of those. Every time I see it, I literally laugh because it, it's just it's so the animation well that sells it. And, well, especially when because the joke itself is it's all right. <laughs> all the joke is not funny. No, well, I, but I, you know, but the, the, the gag, the, the the whole setting. I just think it's funny. I love too that the woman, the the female sloth, has like the purple in her hair because (laughs) literally a few months ago I was at our DMV for for Canada and I was getting uh, something. Is it just as terrible there? Uh, This one wasn't too bad. This one wasn't too bad. Some of the offices are bad, but we we literally drove 45 minutes out of town just to go to one that wasn't as busy as the one that was five minutes away from our house. Uh, but yeah, the woman that helped me had purple streaks in her hair and it's like, <laughs> that's their one rebellion. <laughs> you work in a stupid soul sucking job that you hate, but you have this strand of purple in your hair. I just thought that was hysterical. The movie works again for a lot of different reasons. And it's one of those things where in, it would have been really, really easy to screw it up simply because it very much is on a soap box. Mm-hmm. But the manner in which it's telling the story makes it that it, it, that doesn't matter, that it, it still works and you're willing to to not just run with it, but actually appreciate it for taking the time to go on that soapbox and preach this message. Because it's, it's saying, like the, one of the directors was saying, the story is about defining yourself despite how the world sees you. And that's very much what it is. And you have the predators versus the, the, the prey that play at the beginning sets up the entire show and was just brilliant. I I just loved it (laughs) going in. I already heard a lot of the, the chatter about, you know, the movie's message and whatnot. So going in, like I was looking for that stuff and by two thirds of the way through the movie, I was like, yeah, okay, it's there. But like, I don't see like what the big deal was like, Maybe by Disney standards, this is really important and controversial. And then, you know, the last chunk of the movie, it's just like, I can't believe they did this. (laughs) Well, yeah. And it is very much setting lines that we are seeing in real life to the point of using actual lines that people say as well. The like, you're not like them. When mm-hmm. Hop says that to to Nick at one point towards the middle to end there, and different things like that that are are, are said, you really have that you, you see the the parallel then between what we're going through in real life and what is happening in here, but it's done in such a way that you enjoy it 
and you're sucked right in as it's happening. And it makes sense for the story as well. It was kind of cool watching, again, some of the documentary stuff where they talked about it and, and the work that went into it to create Zootopia because it has the distinct parts, kind of like, you know, Chinatown and different things like that in, in a real city. And the work that they went into creating a, an environment that would naturally feel like something that you could believe in and just walk into kind of thing. And then that rubs off on the flow of the story as well. When she is chasing the weasel, Duke <laughs> Weaselton, voiced by Alan Tiddick, who we love, and they go into Little Rodentia. Freaking brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But it, again, it sets that tone that not everybody is the same. And again, much like Little Chinatown, say, you are going to have chunks of the city that are very much certain races are going to hang out there or or things like that. And, and there's things like that throughout, pepper throughout, that make that world make sense so that as it leads closer and closer to this us versus them part prey versus predator later on again it makes sense and you don't feel like you've been preached to they did a great job early on in the film when judy first arrives in zootopia of showing so many of the little details of the day-to-day life of zootopia and how the various animals go about their business and like they were showing their work so that later on in the movie when they're going to even you know wilder destinations like you know the rainforest and the arctic areas and all that we just accept that yeah it's part of this world because at the beginning they they put us in that mindset that this can already exist it was very very brilliantly handled they actually worked with um air conditioning engineers to make sure that Tundertown actually made sense and would be possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the way that they designed it, I'll go, that's dedication to your craft right there. <laughs> that was awesome. The The other thing that was absolutely amazing, this was the obvious voice acting. That's something that Disney obviously prides themselves on. But, I mean, this was phenomenal throughout. I had not looked at who everybody is yet. Mm-hmm. Like I, I knew most of them just from hearing their voices kind of thing, but some of them I couldn't quite peg. One being, of course, Jennifer, the the Goodwin. And it wasn't until I saw her picture and I went, hey, that's the chick from Once Upon a Time. She plays Snow White. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Well, every, all the actors did such a great job of embodying their characters, with the exception of Tommy Chong, because... It's Tommy Chong. Tommy Chong. Like at no point did I like hear the actor instead of the character, which is is so easy to do sometimes. Jason Bateman was brilliant, but I mean, I we are huge, huge fans of his already. Arrested Development is one of our favorite series, bar none. So I just love his work, and I don't know that you could have picked a better fox. To be honest, no. I was so happy with Idris Elba in there. Hmm just because his voice works beautifully for this kind of work. And so that was good. One that surprised me and I had no clue literally until today as I'm going through going, okay, who was some, who were some of these voices and I'm looking at their pictures. 
the guy who played Klauser, the the fat cheetah who's in mm-hmm. the entrance, who is awesome, by the way, one of my favorite characters. He was freaking awesome. That's Nate Torrance. And the only reason I know him now is because we watched Supernatural. And he was in an episode of Supernatural <laughs> a few weeks back where he played one of the main guys, his imaginary friend when he was a kid. And imaginary friends are real in their world. So Of course they are. Of course they are. And so he comes back later on and he was phenomenal. He was at first you're going, oh, this is going to be stupid. But in typical supernatural fashion, no, it turns into awesome in no time flat. And then you're just loving it. So when I saw that it was him and then I watched some of the scenes showing him doing some of the recordings, it was like, oh, God, I need to watch this movie again now just because... <laughs> Again, I love that freaking cheetah. I love when he's in that little, oh, cute little bunny. You're going to get killed today. That's <laughs> <laughs> a stupid cell phone game. Yes. <laughs> That's the other one, too. Shakira was in this. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I, <laughs> before I saw the show, okay, when our granddaughter comes over, we have my old Mac that I used to record on is in actually the living room on a table. And Karen uses that instead now. So that's her, her system. And that's where the toys are as well for her granddaughter. And when she comes over, most of the time it's me, sometimes Karen too, but I'll sit down and she will sit on my lap and we will bring up YouTube and we find videos because she loves to dance. And she'll butt dance on me and we'll dance sometimes. Well, she'll dance. I won't. And, and we'll watch a bunch of videos. And, um, and I found this try everything video from Shakira from the thing. And of course, with all the animals, she loves it. I'm freaking hooked on this song. Now, every time I hear it, I <laughs> smile. I love this song. So whenever my granddaughter comes over, we listen to it and it's great. But again, for, for the film, it just is fantastic in the film as well. Mm-hmm. And the other cool thing, too, and this is something my daughter actually sent me a picture, and it was a whole bunch of animated characters with hops at the top saying, if nothing else, this is what Zootopia did really, really well. You'll notice when you're watching, and this goes back to that attention to detail, when she comes into the city, when she takes off, when she has her earbuds in, they're actually in her ears, which are on the top of her head. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the other animated characters, they'll be either on a cell phone or something, but their ears are on the top of their head, but the phone is where we would put it right. kind of thing. It's like, it's just one of those little things that is attention to detail that then sets you up as you're watching the rest of the show to try to pick out different things. Cause again, so well done. Yeah. So then the, the movie of course is about 14 predators predatory mammals are went missing. And so the cops have to find it, including Judy Hopps, who is the first bunny cop. And so they have to try to find out what is going on. And what they wind up discovering is that they're, they're being held. That's that happens quite a bit later on, but the, the, the predators are being held in cages because they've gone savage. And that's where you get that, reflection on what's going on in our real life of the, the, the split and you're not like them, the, the violent minorities or whatever Trump would have you believe about the Mexicans coming across the border. And then you have the, the, the basically bait and switch of one that looks like he's responsible for it and trying to hide it. So he doesn't get in trouble versus the other one who's trying to do a power play. 
even though it was in typical Disney fashion, easy to figure out what's going on at any point, still is enjoyable at every point. And a lot of that has to do not just with the manner in which the story is told, obviously, not just in how great it looks and all that, but the performance was, the performances from the characters, especially, again, it's a buddy cop show, between Hops and, and Nick are so much fun to watch that I could have watched another three hours of this stretched out and still loved it all. Mm-hmm. And it plays on every cop movie cliche yep. imaginable. And it doesn't suffer for that because as we've said so many times, it's what you do with it. And it's the twist that it puts on these traditional storytelling tropes, not just, you know, she's a bunny, but a lot of how a lot of it plays into the larger plot development. And it's, this movie is 100%. It's one of those. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey because like you said, the, the story itself is pretty paint by numbers, but it's just a hell of a ride to get there. Some of our favorite scenes. I love when Nick is playing with the sheep's hair. <laughs> it's like cotton candy. <laughs> the entire Godfather scene. Jeez. Beginning to end was absolutely brilliant. Just absolutely fantastic. Every little detail. Apparently when Nick was eating the little tiny little piece of cake and the animators were having a hard time figuring out how they do that, they got, um, oh dude, what the hell's his name? The, the main guy from Pixar. Um, that's with Disney now. Yeah, that guy. Oh my God, I can't believe I forgot his name. Anyways, they got him to eat a tiny little piece of cake and they filmed it. (laughs) And again, everything that you see when they're having the ceremony, it's on like a platform with these Mm -hmm. massive freaking polar bears just standing guard around them. It was just as someone who is a Godfather fan. That scene made me so happy inside. Oh, I yeah. loved it so much. Because they played it perfectly straight. Like, there was no joke there. It was just the absurdity of the setting that made it work. And then, of course, again, the, the Godzilla, Godzilla parody in, in Little Rodentia was fantastic. And you want to talk about attention to detail. You can look at, like, the individual frames for that. Find the videos on YouTube and look. There is so much going on there. Like that is a little piece of the city that is fully realized. Mm -hmm. And when she is chasing the weasel and they're like jumping between the buildings on top of the buildings. I love that when he's on the subway (laughs) ducking the the tubes. Because, of course, it's rodent down. They'll have tubes between the, the the buildings and whatnot. But, yeah, all of those. What were some of your favorite scenes? The elephant ice cream parlor. Yes. With the little fox. And, oh, I I laughed so hard when he was doing his toots. <laughs> because, especially as a viewer, it's so obvious that, you know, it's a con. It's a con. Because we've seen movies before. But it... Oh, God, I just loved it. I love the Timberwolves howling, too. (laughs) Such a simple, stupid joke, but it works. But it worked, and it worked more than once. (laughs) (laughs) And each time was great. But the thing that I love, too, is, again, in between these 
silly moments as well. You get the scene where Nick is talking about why he's the way he is mm-hmm. and wanting to be this little junior ranger thing and being muzzled by the kids. Oh my God, that was heartbreaking. And it was. Like, that's something that I will, I, I give them so much props for because it would have been really easy to do something that was, you know, he got beat up. He got his underwear pulled up or whatever. He was mocked until he cried. It could have been any number of things that they took a safe route for. And it's not like this is not safe per se. It's just it's a lot more harder hitting. And especially as an adult watching it versus a kid. But when you see him get muzzled and then pawing to get it off and that panic and that. And then all of a sudden more so than anything else that they could have chosen to explain why he is the way he is, this suddenly you're going, I buy it. I, yeah, I definitely buy mm-hmm. that he's this way because of that. And it was profoundly impactful. Yeah. It, it, God, I, even just thinking back on it, because, you know, as a kid, you, you know, that stuff happened, but obviously not to quite an extent. So it, it's, it's very jarring. It makes you look back and go, huh, okay, things could have been a lot worse. Yeah. I like that they used, too, some of the, again, the stuff that I was watching about it, too. They used some of the tech from Big Hero 6, which we love hmm. so much. Some of the stuff for the town of Zootopia came from the tech that they used for lighting up sent mm-hmm. from Tokyo. So that was kind of cool, too. Uh, a nice throwback to a movie that we liked a lot. So, So any parting thoughts? it's 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 just such an interesting film because like i said it the perception as you're watching it is that you know it's a very safe movie that you know makes some some small points here and there but that big turn it takes you know near the end that it's it it just blows you away. It's it's something I hope we talk about for a while because it's it's like I said earlier how there's such a thing as just being ignorant, and that's what Judy was. She she didn't know what she was doing was wrong, and but unlike a lot of people, she learned that what she was doing was wrong and became a better person because of it. And if nothing else, I really hope that's the message people get out of this movie where. Not everybody's always going to be right all the time. You know, just based on life experiences, you're not always going to know, you know, if something is offensive or not. But if you are told something is offensive, just accept that, (laughs) which is a huge thing that so many people have trouble with. And I really hope growing up, the kids that watch this movie carry that lesson. I can't say anything better than that. So on that, we will end this episode. Now, some of you may be wondering why we're not talking about one of the other big movies to come out recently, and that is, of course, Batman vs. Superman. We actually did discuss it on our Comic Book Informer podcast. So look in the show notes, and I'm going to put the... There's going to be two links, because I had not yet seen it. So Vince talked about it one week, and then the following week, I had seen it by then, so I talked about it. So I'll put those links, and you can listen to it there but we won't be talking about it on this podcast i'm telling you director's cut live commentary a couple happen. bottles of wine we got this i don't want to do that <laughs> you 
you could probably convince me, but I'm hoping you won't try. Anyways, <laughs> that is going to wrap up this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed us. Leave us your comments in the uh, comment section on the site. Let us know what you thought about both of these shows, if you, in fact, did see Song of the South as well. You can find the show notes, of course, at popcornronin.com. You can find the pop the uh, podcast on iTunes as well as Stitcher. Leave us some comments there if you would like. And you can find us on iTunes individually. I am Zen Buddhist and Vince is Simodian. And with that, we will see you soon enough. For more TV, movie, and anime reviews, please make certain to stop by popcornronin.com and leave the guys your thoughts in the comments. If you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince, check out their Comic Book Informer podcast, as well as For the Lore, a weekly gaming podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, manellijamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.